Aguilar, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome back to the Mulcast. Good evening. Good evening. The ashes of the post at Twickenham have been burnt, packaged up and sent over to Suva, where a great rivalry has now started between the two teams who wear white and black out in the pitch. Fiji beat England at Twickenham. And as you explained to me, not that much of a surprise. They have better players. Yeah, Fiji Fiji have a lot of, a lot of better players. Uh, I was really impressed this time last year. I went over to see two French uh, games at the start of their season. Biarritz played appallingly against Mark de Marsan and Bayonne played really well against uh, Racing. And in both games, the Fijian players that each of the home teams had uh, were their best players. And uh, you can follow players around. When you're at a game, you can choose exactly how to look at them. And there's so many things that those players do well and it, um, in, terms of, in terms of their ability to win contacts, their ability to change direction right at the point of contact, offload out of contact, pass, throw sort of unconventional passes, that still hit supporting players in the hands and then tackle really well. So Fiji, I, you know, since coming back from then, from those games, I've been, you know, sort of amongst ourselves, certainly saying, Jesus, like, we need, we need Fijian players. You know, certainly like Leinster should get a Fijian winger or something. Um, so it was, it was a surprise to me because if the game had been played in the World Cup, especially the way England are playing at the moment, I, w- I would have been gone, Fiji have a pretty good chance of winning this. But when it's played in Twickenham, uh, I would have favoured, you know, England to take it. Um, so, yeah, a big surprise. Um, I think it's fair to say that the rot didn't set in with Steve Borthwick coming in, whatever, nine months ago. He's not doing a very good job, is he? He said at the start of his tenure... We're not a team that does anything well, and they don't look like a team that does anything well at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. What uh, what's what's your take on that? Is a pertinent quote? I think I think he's made them worse. I think whatever hope they had, he's extinguished. Uh, that's <laughs> probably been his his greatest legacy going into <laughs> an ill-fated short stint um, at the top. He's he's a fairly inexperienced coach. He, he had reasonable amount of success with, with Leicester, but like not for an extended period of time. Cause he wasn't there for very long. And, um, <clears throat> like his, his rugby is horrible. Um, very stats driven, but like stats driven to the, like very spreadsheet driven, like to the exclusion of watching the game. Like there, there's, they just give away the ball all the time. And we went to the the, the recent match in Lansdowne Road and you were saying to me, look at them in the warm-ups. Like, they can't hold on to the ball in the warm-ups. Like, it's, they're not hiding anything here. Mm. Like, or else they're just expert at camouflage. So, like, that'd be one of the really concerning things. And then when you see them play, you sort of go, it, they're not hiding anything. Like, this, they're that bad. Yeah. Um. So did I, did I think Fiji would beat them in Twickenham? I didn't. I didn't. Like England and Twickenham, still very, very difficult to beat. Very difficult place to go. Big, strong guys. I didn't think Fiji would beat them. But I also commented uh, there was a turnover in the Irish game at a rook. And I couldn't figure out how the ball had come back. I think I came back to Josh Vanderfleet and I started going, how do we get that? And then I went, uh, Borthwick's obviously looked at the stats and figured that they're better without the ball than with the ball. So the English have just thrown it to us. (laughs) And you kind of go, it's... You could see that level of perverse thinking infiltrating their game because yeah. they've just got awful. And I guess with Eddie Jones there, you never knew if he had some genius move up his sleeve or if he was just like a completer another hookster who'd been <laughs> who was being in the process of being exposed. Um 
and I kind of oscillated between the two and I have a lot of like a lot of admiration for Eddie but now like if you're an English rugby fan you must be going like god we could lose one two three of our pool matches mm. Simone's could beat England yeah that they look really short. These are these are players who have played a lot of the same players that played in Lansdowne Road a week and a half ago, played in the World Cup final four years ago. So they're players who are playing a long way below their own personal, uh, their sort of optimal. They look short on confidence in themselves, and they also look short on confidence in what they're trying to do. So it's uh, you can't like that sort of thing. You can't turn it on just because you go and play in a different country. Oh, this was these were the warm-ups. Now the real tournaments begin where tournament players are going. It's just not how fucking sports works. You know, especially a team game like rugby, where you're reliant on working together. Like you have to practice those uh drills. You have to get to know where people are going to be and that you can rely on a certain person if you're gonna leave a space in defense, that somebody else is gonna fill that space and that you all know what you're doing together. Uh, so it, it's a team that looks completely short on confidence not just in what they're being asked to do but starting to have lack of confidence in their own abilities like i've rarely seen like ellis genji be a very self-confident player would be in the conditional tense is a very confident player but i've never seen him string together so many quiet games as he has over the last uh, for every warm-up game he's been um i never know if the phrase subpar is the right thing to do because if you're subpar in golf which is where it's most often used, like that's below par, which is good. But he hasn't been, he hasn't been good. You know, he's been quiet and shit. Marlo yeah, yeah and like a lot the of the pace. names in the English team, uh, it looks like they still have a good team. Yeah. And they, they just seem to have no idea how to string it together. Yeah, when they were playing, when they named their team to play against us, thinking like, it's a pretty strong team. You know, centers need a bit of work, but other than that, like that's a that's a good outfit. And then they turned up and they were, you know, really ordinary. And as as you mentioned there, like I, I was watching them during their warm-ups. We were there very early. Uh, got you into the stadium before the anthems for once. And uh going through their going through their, you know, four on three drills in their backs, like they couldn't they might have got past three passes before a knock on or a th- uh four pass or a pass behind maybe you know one in every two like there were so many balls on the ground you're going jesus like they can run these moves unopposed but once there's somebody even facing them never mind hitting them the ball gets dropped um so yeah no sorry go ahead i don't want to knife borthwick but what i'm about to say won't be kind about him i don't think i think they panicked Sacked Eddie Jones because the people, the crowd were fucking really hating it at Twickenham. And then they were like, uh, what's that new manager bounce they talk about in football? Dead cat bounce. The new manager bounce where you're like, this team's doing shit. Essentially, if we get a new face in, it'll kind of scare them straight and they'll play well for a little bit. Yeah. And they're like, we'll hire the last league winning manager, even though he only won a league essentially when the best team weren't there. The best team weren't there because they cheated and they were relegated to the second division. But the team that won the league, the Leicester team, were like obliterated by Leicester in the quarterfinals in Welford Road that year. Um, yeah, certainly well beaten, yeah. Now, Borthwick, Borthwick so, at one stage was, he was always due to be the next England manager. Okay, well, what what I think has happened or what I think is, I think he is an incredible illustration of something that is often said in in football reporting. It's like, oh yeah, it's just about good players. Like England have good players, and you can see how disorganized and disillusioned they look. So it's not just about good players. It's really it speaks to the importance of uh, the quality of coaching that good teams put in because there are good players in that England team. Oh, one hundred percent. Like really good players, and. I don't think it's all, he is not the root cause by any means. But like you said, it's like the players are like, they're having a terrible time under Jones. Jones goes, this guy comes in, they're like, cool, maybe it's a new page. And it's like just this stats, bog, spreadsheets, bog, groupie. And they're like, oh God, this again. 
And then like, where do they get their, where do they get their sucker back in the club game where like yeah. the club might be going out of business. Yeah. And if they go to France, they won't be able to like, play for England. Like, yeah, there's, there's a huge, there's, you know, this trifecta of, uh, influences on, on the English game. As you mentioned there, uh, you know, your man Sweeney, the CEO panicked at the end of the November internationals and decided to sack Eddie Jones. Wasn't a good decision. You know, you've won tournament before the, before the Rugby World Cup. You tasked Eddie Jones. You already gave him the extension to bring you to the World Cup. Just let him bring you to the World Cup. You know, you have more of a chance with the same guy who's good in tournaments, who's had the team for a long time. The results were bad in um, November. But, uh, like, he he broke down in the face of pressure. I, I would say more from the media than from the... The crowd, the crowd weren't happy either, but he, he broke down under that pressure. He didn't show leadership. Jones had this habit of just burning out coaches. I think he ran a very nitpicky and anarchy and not relaxed camp. And his he has this enormous constitution for conflict, which most people just do not have. Just think, Jesus, there's more to life than constantly starting fights with people and then saying you've won them. So he's he has his own. And, you know, England weren't successful under him in the last two Six Nations. They won four out of ten games in Six Nations competition. So he... And then you have a, you have a club game which is imploding, you know, with the harsh spotlight that COVID shone on it and, you know, exposed that poor working practices, terrible financials. Three clubs have gone bust and other clubs are under big financial pressure. So they're not able to produce players from academy into... Um, into you know test internationals in the way that a 12 team league from one country which should be you know should be about 85 90% english players like they should be in a really strong position and instead they're in an incredibly weak position so it, it's it, there's huge problems throughout the english game uh, and it's like some of them you can say yeah change the ceo get in a ceo on a reasonable salary spread that money around more he's on something like 700 grand a year it's fucking outrageous um and then you know do not be so proud that you can't take lessons from other unions which are more successful than you uh, appoint the right coach appoint the right coach at the right time Borthwick has had to put together a uh, coach and staff at really short notice and he's basically just gone with a load of Leicester people almost exclusively their their former Leicester players and coaches and that's that's a problem it's by no means a dream team. And then, you know, you have to somehow, the English professional game has to either rescue itself or be rescued. And that's a huge problem. They need to get way more English players playing. They need to have a competition where they, you know, if they ring fence the premiership and get rid of relegation, it means that you can start to play younger players rather than just fucking identical, you know, guys from around the world who are more experienced because you don't want to get relegated and lose all your money. So, yeah, there's a load of problems there. But the main problem at the moment is, like, all of those problems are off the pitch. The main problem at the moment is, like, the lack of confidence in the players, how Bortwick wants them to play, and the fact that fucking nobody is really accepting of that or being buying in is the phrase which i don't like using but that's what it is they're not they're not buying into that game they might be doing it but like they're not fucking doing it well and yet they could also get to a semi-final of a world cup much easier than we could well 100 percent. that draw is, is incredibly uh it's been incredibly lopsided it's a real weakness in this tournament but it, you know a year after a year after this the only people who'll be kvetching about it will be the people who are knocked out of uh, out of the group stages, be either us, Scotland, or or South Africa, will be for, and and everyone else will forget. What about Fiji then? How about well, their I, progression? Just on England, I mean, I was going to make the point that the most successful coaches in Ireland recently have all all English guys. All the guys who were involved in the twenty fifteen World Cup. That, mm-hmm. The national team is led by Farrell and Cat. Uh, Stuart Lancaster is much lauded on upon his departure and, and upon his tenure and then departure from Leinster. And Graham Rowntree, I think, 
won the hearts of a lot of people, um, but also got their respect by the fact that not only did Munster win, but they won away. So you go like, they're all English coaches. I, it's it's a real failure of coaching. Um, and probably a failure of administration because when a lot of the current English guys who are reasonably like a, a sort of veteran status now were, were coming up. Um, and I think particularly the, the under 20s teams that were led by uh, Ford, Farrell, Itoje. I can't remember. Was Itoje the captain of the team that Ford was on? Ford was playing like when he was 16 or something. Like <laughs> yeah. was like, I think he was on about three of these under 20 teams and he was an absolutely superb underage player. But like, a lot of those guys were. England were dominant at underage level. They were the best underage team in the world. And now you look at it and you go, well, France are the best underage team in the world, like by by quite a distance. Like they scored 50 points in the final. So England then had the, like had huge numbers, but they have huge numbers now compared to everybody else. But just their their coaching and their pathways were just far more developed. And it hasn't taken much time at all for, for that to fall into ruin. Um... So I mean I think I think that's the shocking bit. I think from from Fiji's point of view, uh, talking about English second rows, I think that Bill Bowman, Mister Rugby, in an article that I read that I read wrote eleven years ago, I thought of him as Mister Rugby, and he was not involved with uh, International Rugby Board, aka World Rugby at that stage. But World Rugby have done well. Um, supporting Fiji and Samoa and Tonga. They give them a million plus every year for three years, for the last three years. All the national coaches come out and say nice things about them from Tonga, Fiji and and Samoa. But uh, the level of cohesion, the level of competition, the ability to have control over their players, even like the lack of traveling relatively speaking that they have to do, the fact that like they're not pieces of meat when they play in Fiji. Like they, they probably have a, they probably have a better, like they obviously have a better quality of life. They're living in an island paradise, you know. But like they're, they're not sending back all their money to Fiji. They can, they can give over money, mm. but like they're in the place where they, they can actually hand it over. Like it's, everything is nicer. Um, so it's good for all their players. But like the level of cohesion that they have, and particularly watching Samoa play against Ireland, you go, okay, near the end, the Samoans like showed their athleticism and their attacking ability from going from their own 22 when they were chasing the game. But most of the time, they just kicked the leather off the ball, chased it hard, and like really defended the rooks well. And then you're going, that's that's a team that knows what they're doing. So to go back to Fiji, I think the main thing is that the Fijians often have some of the best players in the world. Um, and then, you know, if their coaching staff is good, the preparation for the World Cup gives them an opportunity to to shine that they don't have for outside of those four years. And I guess the team that springs most readily to mind is the 2007 team that mm-hmm. gave the, I mean, the, the match of that tournament, uh, or certainly the one that comes very readily to mind, was uh, the quarterfinal against South Africa. It was great game. Just like a brilliant game of rugby. Um, and now they have those players, but they're well coached now. And they're they're cohesive. So the things that used to let them down, and I would have always said, Jesus, not just me, everyone. Like it used to be that their set pieces were incredibly hit and miss. You know, even if they had, you know, they had some really good props, like Fiji have had really good props. Tonga have had good props. Tamalolo going further back. Peter Fadialofa. Um, but like they weren't they weren't able to. You know, their scrummage would die and start getting pushed around, or their line out wasn't good, and. Like that was how South Africa beat Fiji. Is like South Africa were given a fucking huge scare, and then just decided, oh, we're just going to kick the ball off the park, compete in their lineouts, win a bit of half of them, win all our own lineouts, and just maul. You know, and that was just the way you could negate them. Um, but now, both against Ireland, the Samoan scrum, uh, you know, absolutely held its own at the start and, and ended up, I'd say, winning it quite comprehensively. Their lineout was excellent specifically in spoiling Irish ball and what was difficult condition for boat lineouts. And, um, you know, so they've, they've, this, they've put together this good coaching team. Like, you, you looked across their coaching side with Mapasua, Tanahumaga looking like, 
like a Klingon samurai. <laughs> Uh, and Goodman from Leinster, and you're going, Jesus, like, this is a solid outfit of coaches. Like, a re- more than solid. This is a really strong group of coaches. So I know Mark Evans, for, who's been with Saracens, Harlequins, and spent time in, in the NRL as well. He's heavily involved in Fiji, more on the administration side and organization. He's one of the people who I most enjoy following on Twitter. I think he always has interesting things to say. Uh, but Raul Louis, you know, done an excellent job as a coach. And Fiji have two good tight heads. Samoa have a couple of good tight heads. Um, so their scrums are now set pieces and things which had previously been weak points when you got to the higher level of international competition, completely capable of withstanding tier one pressure. And lots of naturally extremely physical, strong and athletic players running with the ball, especially, well, back for- <laughs> Like especially all their players really back five to scrum and all their all their backs like one of the tackles that the Samoan scrum half put in I think was on it was either Henshaw or Herring in the second half Jesus it was his her- Herring mm, knocked him up in the air knocked him up in the air <laughs> down goes Fraser it was unbelievable discipline and, is also like I was, you stole the word discipline so Fiji England conceded ten penalties against Fiji Fiji conceded seven against England and. I think this World Cup is going to be decided by set pieces, one, discipline, two, mm. and probably penalties conceded at one set piece, i.e. the scrum, are going to lead to opportunity to dominate from another set piece to line it. So you look at the way South Africa score against New Zealand, and South Africa can definitely attack. They have small wingers. They're capable of like keeping it straight in the backs. They have good hands. They're prepared to counterattack from deep. Mm-hmm. They score their tries from line outs that are five meters out. And mm-hmm. they just have this variety of plays. It's not all malls that they do. Uh, they have a number of different ways to play, but like set pieces. But particularly, like discipline is just massive. Yeah. Massive in the current game. And in, in the Samoan game, the penalty count was uh, six against Samoa, ten against Ireland. And so, and like the Samoans, you know, jolly Islander stereotypes very much is like the Samoans used to be a fucking dirty team. Like they're always putting in headshots on people. And that has been reined in so much uh, that like it just, it just stops you going down to 14 men and giving away the pen that goes to a line out that goes to a scrum when you're disorganized, or sorry, that goes to a try when you're disorganized. So really efficient. And the second thing, and, and this is a personnel issue, is like Samoa haven't had a really good out half since Stephen Bashup, who certainly, was that the 1990, did he play in 1995 or was it 1991 where he played? I was going to say 91. Yeah, like they probably haven't had it. They probably haven't had it as good an out half as Lima Sapuaga in a quarter of a century. Like what Sapuaga brought to them was like, excellent line kicking out of hand. He had, he had a beautiful banana kick penaltouche from maybe on the halfway line, five meters out and got it into touch on the five, same side. Like, but it, also his crossfield bombs, completely isolated. So he had a, they had, they had a five or a six stationed wide right. So he kicks a crossfield bomb. We can only get one guy outside center or, you know, mostly outside. It was mostly Henshaw running back to provide a blocker. And you're going like Jimmy O'Brien got hugely exposed in what was a horrible night, but your man Subway was able to land the ball wherever he wanted to land the ball. And it gives them that extra, it gives it gives them something that they love to do, which is like hit a guy with a run-up. And uh it was a really effective tactic. He he adds an awful lot to their game. Which uh club did Stephen Basher play for in the AAL? Oh, Bechtov? DLSP. Blackrock. Oh. Blackrock College. I was thinking Lima Sofawaga, like, he has, I think, about 15 or something. Yeah. All Blacks caps behind him. But he's so good. He would have had loads more if he didn't play behind Bodie Barrett, essentially. He yeah, like, and Richie Moonga. Yeah. Um, and Damien McKenzie. Yeah. He, but particularly Barrett, because yeah. Barrett was the guy who was D- playing top 10. Top player of the year, yeah. Playing 10 for most of that, and has like 80 or 90 caps. Like, he's such an, it's so excellent. Lead me to sprawl into my um, my other point that I was making about, and go back to kicking into Eddie Jones as well. <laughs> All the things you've been saying about how the Pacific Island teams are moving away from the stereotype of them, 
being like talented, a little bit rough and ready, a little bit ill-disciplined, mm-hmm. a little bit disorganized, but with so much, you know, raw talent there. And it's just thinking like, it's kind of almost like how you describe the Aussie team now. We're like, they're missing every goal kick at some stage yeah. with some like raw, bemulleted, like 20-year-old or something like that. Yeah. And then like they have... You're gonna you're gonna have to say the name of the winger for me because I, I can't. oh I can never quite get it right <laughs> now what kind of Tolo assay he is like and then they, they, they have so I mean, I mean they have a lot of backs who are of Islander descent and um Joe yeah, backline is Fijian but they are not a good team no they're like, <laughs> they're like they are like the Fijian team of old <laughs> with Karevi and Corabete I don't think Ikate was available but. Uh, like their their backline, their best backline is like their best three quarter line is all Fijians, or three Fijians in a tongue. Um, and then you have Carter Gordon and Kellaway, uh, and like they those lads, Kellaway is actually quite, I wouldn't say polished, but Carter Gordon is is uh, he's talented, but he's so fucking raw. Like it's it's bonkers that he's playing out half for Australia in the World Cup, and the idea that you're oh we're building for the next World Cup, you're all mate, you can't fucking predict the next World Cup. Next World Cup is four years away. So much shit can happen in four years. Like, you have to play the World Cup that's in front of you. I think that's for any coach who's saying that, whether it's Gatland or Bortwick or Eddie Jones. Stephen Kenny. Or Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think that is such... It's such a handy... It's it's an excuse. It's it it's meaningless. Your job is like, there is no long term planning. No, there is win no long term planning. Win today, win tomorrow. Exactly. Oh, why don't you build for fucking World Cup eight years away then? It's like it's loaded. That's nonsense. That's not your job. You're the head coach of the team. Somebody else's job is to build for the the World Cup in four years time. Yo, your David Newsom for your head of performance. He has to keep an eye on that. You have to fucking coach the team to win all your test matches. Because while there's a mixed reaction to Ireland beating Samoa, largely because I think there's a huge downer with Key and Healy getting injured, but also like I think you know I think Irish people expect us to win by more. Uh, but the like, imagine how bad that would be if we lost. You don't unless you keep you keep the memories of when you lose in your head. And what the media reaction is like. No one goes, oh, it's just a loss, but we played really well. It doesn't matter. On to the next game. Everything goes, everything gets fucking questioned. Why is why did such and such drop out before the game? Why did you start this fella? Literally every player gets questioned. Every decision gets questioned. And it becomes like, I wouldn't say a sideshow. It becomes the whole show, but it doesn't fucking help anybody. You know? So you just have to win all your games as a head coach. All those bonkers rumors that went around in two thousand and seven oh. just get just get buried. They get dug up, and you just put different names on them. Yeah. So it's like, oh, such and such won't talk to such and such. He's and got. He won't allow him to have his diabetes medicine. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> All that stuff that comes out about, look, oh, the hotel was the problem. You're just going, like fucking hell. Like, what's no battle for your gut? Yeah, once that's you, the problem. Once you start losing, like everything comes into the question, so you can't lose. Like you can't lose games. That is that is like the ultimate crux of 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 test rugby is like you have to try and you're like your fucking hardest to win every single game you play. And if you are a manager going, oh, we're making great strides. If you're coming from a very low ebb, that's one thing. If you're if you're an under-resourced team, yeah, these that that is a difference. So you can't expect to be Italy and win the Six Nations. You know, you have to make incremental improvement. But, like, for teams who are recent Six Nations champions, like Wales and England, like, your job as their head coach is to win all the games. And that's one thing that Farrell is fucking delivering, delivering. And de- Farrell just wins all the games he plays. And he's, like, eventually going to lose one, you know? But the amount, the, the, the lack of furor or criticism of his squad, which was very predictable. The most predictable rugby World Cup squad ever been announced by an Irish coach is because, like, he fucking wins all the games. You know? Mm. Like, you can actually ask, and this is this is pointed because I think it's relevant. Like, why is, why is you know, why is, for example, Keane Prendergast in the mix at the end? Like, is he, like, Keane Prendergast is a complete feral selection. 
know, there's every, every, there's every bit of strong an argument to say that Coombs should have been in there or Hodnett should have been in there or Scott Penny should have been in there. Every bit of strong. There, I don't think that there's any difference in playing level between them and Prendergast. But because Farrell has so much credibility, like, and Prendergast is a guy he really likes and wants to get into playing, it's like people are going, oh yeah, Prendergast is really good. And it's like, Prendergast is good. But like compared to the other fellas he's up against in that back row, Cone, uh, Doris van der Fleer, O'Mahony, Baird, like he's not at their level. You know, but Farrell has such credibility because he wins all his games that it's like, this is, this is fucking like, Prendergast is at their level. You know, because Farrell says so. Yeah. If, if Farrell was from Leinster, he would be getting lit up for dropping Coombs the week before the whole thing finished with no matches yeah. and keeping Prendergast on. So although Prendergast plays for Connacht, like he's, he's from the Leinster Academy or from, not from the Leinster Academy, but from, he's from Leinster, like Leinster from development yeah. thing, you know? Um, and I'm sure like some, some part of the social media world did light up. Oh, I looked at Fend it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I fucking searched for it. <laughs> but I, I was the same. I was the oh, I, I didn't understand in, it. Like in... There's no version of what I've seen that has Keane Prendergast ahead of Coombs as there's just no way. To my mind, Coombs is a miles better player and actually got better in the second half of the season and they won something. Yeah. So I don't get it myself from a rugby point of view, which now I might get the fact that Prendergast is such an enormous plus in the squad and I kind of wonder... Is there something down about Coombs? Like, does he drop the head? Does he not listen? Does he not talk to people from other provinces? Like, is, is it a combination of those things? Whereas Prendergast is like an unbelievable number 33 or number 36, just based on sort of reputation and what it looks like. Yeah. Every day, I'd say he's taken out the bags and he's just keen to get going. Yeah, running around, smashing into people. Running around with his, with his tail wagon, just yeah. fucking jumping up and down, like, you know, today is the best day in the world again. Yeah. And I'd say Farrell absolutely loves that. Yeah. Like Farrell. Loves it. Like Prendergast and Joe McCarthy are clearly like Farrell players. And Coombs and Treadwell are clearly not Farrell players. I thought he liked Treadwell before. I think he might have just got lost in the mix. Like he picked him a lot and brought him to New Zealand. He played in all those games. Patsy Klein, isn't it? Patsy, oh, sorry, there's a better example. Patsy Glowing's not a not a, a Faz player. Um so there are so like there are I thought this is a bit of a wormhole, but it's something I've been thinking about. Maybe we talked about this at a previous maybe at the match or something like that. I think we talked about it in the England match, yeah. Yeah. Um so it's just something that has like Farrell has so much and has earned, not been given, has earned so much credibility that there was just like very little dissension to this, or like people weren't getting upset that there was no bolters. Like a bolter is a sign of like panic, basically. Getting a bolter, getting in your fucking, now it can work. It's not always a sign of panic. Conor Murray was a bolter, like, and it's just one, you know, being the best scrum half in the world for, you know, the guts of his career. He had 105 caps, <laughs> you know, so he was a bolter. But like most of the time, it's it's, it's shit that just doesn't work. They, they go on to end, to win, you know, fewer than 10 caps overall. I, I got asked the question, uh, and the way I heard it was like Crowley or Byrne and I was like oh Crowley and then it was like no no it was sort of went, who do you think that the three out halves are going to be and I was, was kind of looking going it's going to be Sexton Crowley and Byrne <laughs> like who else who, who else, else do you who think is the other person do you think Frawley we got a chance and I'm just like no no, <laughs> no. like he hasn't played. Oh, Byrne can't tackle that match. I was going, like, Byrne played all the fucking Six Nations. Of course he's going to bring him. Yeah. Like, he, he, Farrell, for the slight risks he takes on who he puts on the bench, basically picks guys in the positions where they play best and keeps picking them, keeps giving them games. If he doesn't like them, he just takes them off and he never picks them again. Like, mm. if he, and that, I, that kind of idea that Frawley, of all people, might get dropped in to play out half where he hasn't played it like at all pretty much 
like I don't know, he like a little bit here and there on tours, but he's just not an out half. I, I kind of scratch my head, going like, what do people think Farrell's gonna do? Yeah. So very predictable squad, and the one that very, the w- little, very little dissension about. Yeah. It. I mean, really, when I looked at it, I thought he would go nineteen fourteen, and when I say I looked at it, I mean five months ago. Yeah. Like. There, there was very little doubt because I, I, I marked five or six players, highlighted them. I went, five of these guys will go and one of them won't. Yeah. And the one I got most spectacularly wrong was I didn't see Earls going. No, I didn't I see had, Earls going. I had Larmer. Larmer slash Nash would go in March. Yeah. Everybody else. And I had, I said McCluskey will lose out. And there'll be... And I, I had Hodnick going, and I didn't have any sort of yeah. doubts about Hodnick going, right? So there's a few that I got wrong there, but basically I had 1914, I had a proper blind side, two proper blind sides, sorry, two proper open sides going. And like everybody else picked themselves. That was the same as me. So I had Larmer instead of Earls back then. I had Will Connors at, at seven because I still, you know. <laughs> I had him, then he yeah. got injured, so I put yeah. in Hodnick, yeah. And then. Uh, so everyone else, apart from McCloskey, I, had just, McCloskey. I, just, I dropped McCloskey. I just didn't think he's going to bring four centers, but like there was like there was 30 players who you're just like, oh, these lads are definitely going from as far out as the day after, like the Six Nations, you know, yeah. maybe even before that. That was the first time I sat down to do it, so I was quite pretty. Obviously, now Lockman, a late stand in for Keeney who got injured in the last match, but as far as I know, like the. Farland told his players the squad before the Samoa game so Keane was in and then he was out yeah it's such a yeah like you said there's no dissension the, I didn't do the exercise of picking the squad until the day before and I was thinking I didn't put McCloskey in because I put Prendergast in I just put an extra forward in yeah. and, back. and then I was like just because the Welsh did his thing and I was like maybe he only takes two scrum halves the third scrum half barely ever plays and then, of course, he's going to take three scrum halves. And then I, I actually went on the Wikipedia for all the other teams, and every other team took three scrum halves. And I was like, of course he did. Africa took four. Um, and then none of them ever play. What, <laughs> what sort of team is he going to pick for different fixtures? Okay, well, weak team with Sexton against Romania. I don't know how... Like Tonga's results haven't actually been that good. I thought Tonga were going to be rid. We we talked probably the last podcast we did. We talked about how Tonga, with all these returning players, are going to be fucking extremely tough. And they still have a great list of players, but they haven't done the only matches they've won have been two games against Canada, who are shit. Canada are like lower than Romania. I think they're nineteenth or twentieth in the world. Uh, so weak team. Get the guys who are not weak team, but like get the guys who are there in your squad to take running out of other players legs it in so it'd be say Lockman maybe Kelleher because he hasn't played at all and then O'Toole uh, Joe McCarthy and um, I actually have this team picked at home Joe McCarthy and Hendo, Hendo. I think yeah uh, and then they'll have to pick one so it'll be Conan at eight I think they'll have to pick one of the flankers Either Peter O'Mahony or Josh van der Fleer, but not both of them. Um, I think it'll be Josh and Baird. Josh and Baird, Because yeah. if he can't pick Conan, he can't pick Doris at eight. Yeah. And then Craig Casey, Jack Crowder, or Craig Casey and Sexton um, with JGP on the bench. And then Jimmy O'Brien will be full back. Earls will be right wing. Uh, centers will be... Probably be McCluskey and Henshaw at 12 and 13. And then I think Mark Hansen's probably going to play every game for us. Yeah. Played every minute of the Six Nations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like the, the two players who I was thinking could play every game for us are Mark Hansen and Doris. Um, Doris is young, Mark Hansen's on. They're both 25. Those guys are just in fucking amazing form. You know, so just, just play them. Uh, winger, you don't get a, you don't get a lot of hits as a winger. You don't have to do a lot of go to rocks. You don't have to. Hansen's do... really fit. He's really fit. Uh, you no line outs, you no mauling, you no scrums. Like your back three could play in every game. I don't think they're going to play James Lowe and Hugo Keenan in every game. 
But I think they probably will from the Tonga game onwards. Just play them all the time. Yeah. Because you have a big break between your Scotland game. South Africa and Scotland. Like it's you've you know, thirteen days off, like. Yeah, I um the thing you've said before, I think you did a little bit of an analysis on it about the teams that win the World Cup. It's like it's re- the thing about depth is not testing your depth in the sense that you have to make five changes. It's that whatever change comes up, you have one guy who can stand in mm-hmm. and do a job and really see what you want is like your first team to not get injured at all. Yeah. That's what you want. So like when when South Africa won it in twenty nineteen, so they played they basically played their squad players in their two easy games in the pool. And then for their two hard games and all their knockout games, they played the same team. You know, they Colby was injured for the semi-final, I think, and they brought in Nkosi. Uh, New Zealand, very similarly. Now, there can be a wrinkle. There's a wrinkle in both squads. Uh, you know, South Africa went 6-2, and the All Blacks didn't have a second row on the bench. They had Victor Vito and Sam Kane. So those, you know, there, there are teams do have wrinkles, but generally it's like, you know what your best team is and you try and get out in the park in all your big games. Yeah. Or like in Ireland's case, there's a toss-up maybe in the centres. I think Aki's the clear leader at 12 at the moment. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just that Faz loves. He's playing, playing really well. He's playing better than Henshaw's. Now, uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Hensha. I'd never pick a team without Hensha. I Like Hensha I've said it before. Be number 23, though. I think Hensha will be number 13. No, I'll be very much. Um, so, like, it's a really strong team. Yeah. Um, didn't, couldn't really afford to lose, in my opinion, couldn't really afford to lose Kane Healy. I think loose head is probably one of our weakest positions. Definitely. And, um, I, you know, Open both, side, side is weak. Both props. The, well, the, Tom O'Toole like, played in all the. Tom O'Toole ended up playing in all the Six Nations games, and Finney Bealham started three of them in in a Grand Slam winning year. So, but but I guess what I mean by that is that if you lost Finley Bealham, you'd be looking at it going, ah, oh, this is a really bad loss. This guy like yeah, plays all these yeah. matches and can play both sides of the scrum. Um, but like on tight head side, the guys who aren't in the squad are Marty Moore and John Ryan. You know, true. Which is like they're both good, yeah. Um, and and you know, on the loose head, it's like who's not in the squad? Mikey Milne, um, Ed Byrne, Pete Dooley, uh, Buckley. Like it's not a strong selection compared to on the on the tight head side. So I I was particularly bummed for Keen, mm. who would have been going to his fourth World Cup, who plays who has played this season at. Loose head, tight head, and even at hooker. Such versatility. 125 caps. Like he's done fucking everything in rugby. Uh, so he, I think he's... I think if Ireland make the semis, he'll be back for it. He could be. It's forecast as the figures mentioned Farrell's a super vague way, which he never gets any fucking Super Bowl. Five, five six, ten weeks. <laughs> like, what the fuck? So seven weeks will bring us out to the quarterfinal you know, from when he got the injury. Keane is a fast healer, but he's older than he was. But like that could be one of those situations where you lose a player in another position and you go, well, that's fucking grand. Like We're through the group stages. Every game now is a knockout. All we need is our best players. All we need is our best 25 players. Um, so if we get to the quarterfinals, yeah, that's that could potentially happen. Do a, an escape to victory. Break someone's off. Yeah. <laughs> I assume, sorry, maybe I'm being come slanderous. Like, oh, you know, we will send this to our solicitors before we post. But I assume, like, that's what's going to happen to, like, one of the four South African scrum apps. <laughs> and who are they going to draft? Yes. Them? You know? Well, Pollard. Um, Pollard. Pollard or Ab. Pollard? Know? Like, for fuck's sake. Pollard's oh. an out half has won the World Cup. Out halves that win the World Cup are brilliant. Yeah. You know, so, like, I assume that that fella, did they have a few fucking slats in the bunk bed removed already? <laughs> Metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. We might as well talk about it because everyone else is talking about it this week. The 7-1 split on the bench. Here's my take on it. It's a joke. It's, it's Nina Aber, they had a late pull out and he went, 
there was probably some reason he didn't put in an extra back. Mm-hmm. Either someone else had a little bit of a, oh, coach, I got a bit of a dead leg, I got a bit of a twinge. Or he was like, oh, let's just do this for once. It's, it's just funny. And then going, I'm going to bring on all seven at the same time. That is fucking hilarious. And also, in a game where you can afford to do it, one, because you're rubbing the All Blacks' nose in the dirt, but two, it's a, it's a warm-up. So it doesn't actually matter. So yeah. like, if it goes completely spectacularly wrong and like your scrum half and your out half both go off or both get yellow card and you're like, I've got like you know no halfbacks on the pitch whatsoever and Quagga Smith is, you know, running the show behind the scrum. Like, doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter if you yeah, you're not set. at home. Yeah, you know, you're actually. I know there's a lot of South Africans in it, but like the, the difference in, in, in London, in London, <laughs> the difference in like playing and losing at home and playing and losing away is, is still significant yeah. even at international level. Like you get fucking killed if you lose a game at home. So I, I, I think they were just. I think it was just like happenstance. Yeah, it just it was just the opportunity presented itself, and then to bring them all seven on. And listen, maybe he does think that like, you know, they could just cope if they have to stick one of their enormous yeah. forwards in the in the box. You see, I, I like, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. I think it's something that he dealt with late, and he's there going. Yeah, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to try this. We've yeah. talked about this. Myself and Razzie have talked about it. Let's do it. They ended up playing against, you know, they were playing against 14 men after 13 minutes. They were playing against 13 men after 15 minutes. And then they're playing against 14 men for the entire second half. So for like 55 minutes, they were playing against either 13 or 14 men. And the All Blacks were fucking shit. I've never seen them play worse. Mm. Even like sort of like nineteen ninety one Grizz Wiley All Blacks had some bad games, but like they never got fucking hammered. Like they dropped so much ball. They also had I can't even remember the name. Can you remember the name of the six that they picked and took off after forty minutes? It's the worst All Black back row performance I've ever seen. This Friday, yeah, it's the one just gone. Uh, Frizzell was out, you see, so they picked some other lad and they had Papaliti on the bench. So they had Sam Kane at seven, uh, already at eight. He was their best player, best forward. And then some, some fucking lad who was just like, he was like, he wasn't in the game. He was terrible. Yeah. Anyway, and then they brought on, uh, they brought on Josh Lord as the second row after, and Josh Lord was terrible. He was shocking. Like, and then, then they just like dropped the ball all the time. Jordy Bard had the worst game I'd ever seen him have in my life. Mm. You know, he was owned by fucking Toby Esterhazy. <laughs> um, and it was, they were, like, Mark Talia stood up really well and is a really good runner. Will Jordan, like, cool. he scored a, w- w- one try, it was just allowed for yeah. an early infringement, and then it was gone, like, didn't oh, actually realise. Couldn't playing. remember who was playing 14, only the best right winger in the world. He just yeah. didn't get the ball. Yeah. So, both, like, all the Barrett brothers... They had a collective Barrett family shocker. Except for that one little bit of skill that Bodie did in, in the lead up to this led try. Where he... Yeah, that was good. But like Bodie actually played like, quite poorly. Jordan had a terrible... And like Scott Barrett like absolutely lost a run of himself. Well, I mean, he's a... He has a lot of tuggery on the record. Yeah, I was going to say... I was going to say euphemistically, he's an enforcer. Like, yeah. he's a dirty player. Yeah. Like, there's so many borderline shots and just headshots yeah. in his catalogue I think he does not, he's, he's, they've even taken that fella out of the records Andy from the looks of it if anyone's listening just shout out the name oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah that's not even fucking Luke, Luke Jacobson Luke Jacobs or Jacobson Jacobson so my feeling on that game was like, I've never seen the All Blacks play as poorly. I don't know if they were jet lagged or they were just sort of saving themselves and not wanting to get injured. Uh, now, the South Africans went out at hammer and tongs and looked great, but looked really good at what they do. Now, I, I was impressed with uh, Esther Huizen, who I thought uh, played better than Dylan has played at any stage since the last World Cup. Uh, Kane Moody, I thought, a lovely run in for the disallowed try. And it's obviously fast. To me, like he's 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 a he's a winger playing thirteen at the moment. Um, and Arense is great. 
Valencia's, like they have good players, but like they were playing against a team who was playing so far off their normal standard. Like these teams played each other not that long ago, and it was a much different game. So I felt it was phony, weird war. I don't know what to make of it. It was like a, it was like, it was like Bismarck sending a telegram. You know, not quite legit. Also, some of those weird days where Marnie Libok kicked everything rather than one of those days where Marnie Libok misses everything. Because yeah. he's only have two types of days. Yeah. Um, like, he can miss a lot. Yeah. You know, he can go like two from seven. Yeah. But pressure pressure on and pressure off Marnie Libok is different because he is a lovely rugby footballer. Yeah. So, very hard to read into what happens in a warm-up test except for England are crap. Yeah. That motion has been passed. Ooh.